Praying with me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. So I have one last question. How many of you have to be at work before 9 a.m.? All right, so that 9 a.m. thing is not going to be a big deal, see? 9 a.m. on the 28th, if you want to participate in the, uh, the final prophecy. By the way, again, all the other ones will be recorded. We'll have them up there. So, Luke chapter 11, we're going to pick it up. If you're here with us last week, we only covered the first four verses in a passage that many are familiar with. Many people that don't even go to church can probably say the Lord's Prayer because they've heard it enough times in their lifetime. But Jesus doesn't stop with, and of course it's not the Lord's Prayer, that's what the world calls it, it's the model prayer. It's not Jesus never had to pray for repentance of sin, but it is the model prayer. And he didn't stop with that, he picks up with verse 5. And we're going to read verses 5 through 13 because Jesus continues discussing, teaching, instructing prayer in our life. Let's uh, open up together, starting with verse 5. And he said to them, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand before I read. Anyone need a Bible? Be glad to put one in your hand. You can even keep it. Starting with verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight. And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Don't you love when someone knocks on your door in the middle of the night? You, they better be a friend, right? For a friend of mine has come... And i got another friend here. For a friend of mine has come to, see, come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot give to you. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. You know, when people are being robbed of sleep, all friendship seems to be off, right? <laughs> Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? That's how you know that eating serpents has got to be bad, right? Jesus said, give him a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Lord, we pray again for your Spirit to speak, Lord, to every heart, to every mind. And Lord, that you would fall afresh upon us this morning. That we would grow in prayer and we'd see a greater work of the Holy Spirit in our lives it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A good friend of mine, you guys have met Sam Nadler many times. He likes to say regularly, it's always too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. There's been stories, true stories, many of them. Whether it's been inventors like the Wright brothers or Thomas Edison all kinds of men and women throughout history that had failed and failed and failed and failed and kept giving up, and all of a sudden there was a breakthrough. And there's also many stories of people that gave up just before nearly discovering something fantastic, something amazing. They gave up just a little too soon. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to your prayer life, it's not going to come easy. It's not going to come easy. It's going to require sticking with it, moving forward, continually searching, continually coming back to the Lord. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to be an overnight thing. And we, we live in, um, in a day of instant gratification, don't we? Instagram. Right? Instant. 
Instant gratification. But a prayer life, Jesus has already let, and I want you to remember as we go through this section of text, remember the context of last week. Because the two are linked together. What he said before still holds true as he continues teaching. Every time you ever take a class in school, and you've grown up and you went to school, middle school, high school, you always learn foundational things, and then you build upon those things. And every... Any good teacher, a lot of times, will go back and remind you of the foundational pieces again and again, and you continue to build and grow upon those things. And so what Jesus said last week, to pray in the name of the Father, right? Hallowed be his name, to worship his name. All of those things will still need to be part of the prayer life. So if you didn't listen to last week's teaching, it's one that you can get on the, uh, online and, and listen to that as well. But all of the things that Jesus went through will still be important. His will to be done. And then he goes on, though, and says, you know, let me tell you a story. Guy's sound asleep at night. His friend knocks because his friend has another friend. Maybe they know each other. Maybe, you know, you have friends that your friends don't know. But another friend comes, and it's in the middle of the night, and this guy's really hungry, needs something to eat. I didn't have anything prepared, have nothing ready, but I know that you guys had went to the baker earlier today. I know you have a bunch of bread. Knock in the middle of that. And Jesus said, now he's not going to get up because he's your friend. You know, Jesus really knows how fleshly we really are. Mess with people's sleep. I'm not getting up. But if the doorbell keeps ringing, you finally aren't going to sleep anyway. Right? The friend says, I know you're not going to get up. Ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, ding, ding. You know, like, just keep going (laughs) until finally... The friend realizes, I'm not going to sleep anyway. Here, throw the bread out the front door. Take all you want. And this is not to say that God wants us to have this kind of relationship with him. He's just saying, he goes on to say later, if you being evil, that's the point. He's saying you and your fleshly condition will end up yielding to someone's persistence. God wants you to be persistent in a godly way. As opposed to just, you know, God doesn't reach out and just say, fine, here's a bunch of bread. You being evil, Jesus gives the example, you know, if your children keep asking for something, keep asking for something, even though you can get annoyed by them asking constantly, you still don't give them a scorpion. Right? No matter how annoyed you are, you're finally, fine, fine, I'll make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But you don't give them a scorpion. And God is saying the persistence will pay off. Jesus also tells us in Matthew 21, 22, he says, In whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you'll receive them. Believing. Now, believing is faith. Prayer isn't going to come easy, and it's going to require faith. You're going to have to believe You have to believe that God really will hear, and he really will answer, and he really will speak to you, and he really will give us exactly what we need. Not want, need. If you're taking notes, I've taught our time in God's word this morning, persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. Now you go back to the first verse of this chapter. The disciples said, Lord Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So Jesus started with the foundational truths. You have a father relationship. You access the father and you have that relationship. Interestingly enough, Jesus says later, he goes on, he says, no longer do I just call you servant, but friend. That we have a friend in Jesus. So we sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And he, and he starts that uh, parable here of a friend going to a friend. We have a relationship. We have a father relationship, which we must always come. And this is important. Our prayer, because he says, hallowed be thy name, we have to keep in contact that our prayer life, we always come to God humbly. Humbly. But we also have a friendship relationship purchased through the blood of Jesus. 
We come humbly. We hallow his name as we looked at last week. We worship. We know that his will, not our will, even his will in our prayer life, that's important, not our wishes. We want our wishes to be turned. It's been well said. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes who? Us. Prayer changes us. Disciples said, you know, teach us how to pray. We failed a lot at prayer, or we've just failed to pray at all, or we've given up on prayer. Many people give up on praying and just kind of stop, or, or maybe start, never start in the first place. But if you're taking notes, I want to uh, go through three things this morning. We've got a number of um, additional sub bullets, if you will, underneath. But the first one, asking and believing. Second, seeking and believing. And thirdly, knocking and believing. Asking and believing, seeking and believing, and knocking and believing. Now, why do I have believing on there? Because, again, if we only ask and only seek and only knock, but we don't do as Jesus said, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing. It's important that we have the faith to know that what we are doing really is anointed by God, given by God, and has a power in our life far beyond anything we can comprehend. Jesus said, if you're taking notes under asking and believing, in Matthew 26, 41, he also said this. He said, watch and pray. What does that mean? Watch and pray. If you were a night watchman, again, if you, get, if you have the pleasure of working graveyard shifts, and I know a couple of you here do, I don't envy you in the slightest, those of you that do, I spent my days back at, you know, back when I was in college and restaurant, getting off at 3 in the morning. That was hard enough for me. Felt like I couldn't fall asleep till 5.30, and then I was like wiped out. And somehow, when you're younger, you can get by with that kind of stuff. But there are people now and through history, police officers who have to work in the middle of the night, they have to be watchful in the middle of the night. And Jesus, in like manner, you have to, when, when you have to do something that goes against your physical goes against what you want to do. It takes a lot of intentionality. And when he says watch and pray, it takes a lot of intentionality to say, I'm going to obey the Lord and be a person of prayer, even though it cuts against my flesh, like being a night watchman at 3 in the morning up on a wall. To watch and pray. Now he also, through the writer of Hebrews, says in Hebrews 11:6. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God really, church, do you truly believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Diligently seek him. Now, you can ask yourself, do I diligently seek the Lord? And if you can't find the answer, ask the Lord, do I diligently seek you? He'll tell you, plain and clear. No, that's... Diligence is not what I'd call your walk right now in prayer. Diligence isn't what... Now, didn't say perfection. Diligence. We're to watch. We're to believe. And we're to be diligent. None of these things come easy. They go all against... They go against the grain of our flesh. Now, I want to talk about three hindrances for a second. Anyone, anyone ever had a hindrance to prayer? Yeah, it's usually the person in the mirror. It's always the person in the mirror, really. I mean, you can be, uh, our, the saints that are persecuted around the world, even if they're tied up, chained up, they can still pray because God still allows the mind and the heart to still work in any condition. True? So really, all the hindrances are, now, don't get me wrong, the enemy does attack us. We do have an enemy. And he will take our weaknesses and come against our weaknesses, and come against our flesh. And we do have an enemy that we battle against. But that's all the more reason why we have to be people of prayer. Correct? The, the solution wouldn't be to say, well, if i got an enemy attacking me, oh, I'll never get past these things. Three hindrances you might want to write down. No planned time, no planned rest, and no renewing of the mind. Three hindrances in our life. No planned time, no planned rest, and no renewing of the mind. I think these things are harder in 2014 than maybe at any point 
in history from a straight busyness standpoint. Not from, there's, other, there's other, been other times in, in history that these things would have been harder from, let's say you've got uh, a till of a hun bearing down on your village. At that point, even if the technology exists, you're not thinking about a new software download. You would be on your knees and you'd find time to pray, right? But in our lifetime, and especially living here in the United States, no plan time, no plan rest, and no, no renewing of the mind, really fall, that ball falls in our court. And that's why Jesus, remember each of these statements, you watch and pray. You ask, pray, believing. You go knock on the door. You be a, I'll be a rewarder of those who diligent. Each time the emphasis, the responsibility is given to us to say yes or no. No planned time. What does that mean? No planned time. You've got to make time to pray. People plan everything else. I'm 40, 45. I'll be 46 in February. I'm 45 years old. And I'm still learning to better prioritize my time right now than when I did five years ago and five years before that. Am I the only one that's still learning this? Still learning to better prioritize. I, the things that I make time for happen. Things I make time for happen, whether it's exercise, whether it's breakfast, whether it's to go visit somebody, whether it's to go have uh, lunch with someone or fellowship, but it's also I have to make time to go have lunch or breakfast with Jesus in prayer. I have to make time for it. doesn't mean it'll be the same time for every single person. I'm not here to tell you that to follow this exact formula, but we all have to make time. And if we never plan time for it, guess what? It never happens. It'll never get planned. Number two is no planned rest. I've watched a couple of uh, documentaries recently. I've read some articles about the impact that Americans are having in lack of sleep. Anyone seen some of this stuff? There are frightening things that are happening to people's bodies, their minds. I mean, it has, it, it, we're finding that proper sleep has an incredible impact on the overall health of a person. We have to plan to rest. We have to say, I have to cut off all the... It's not, it's not going to help us to watch that movie till 1 a.m., right? Elizabeth Elliot's father was known as a man of prayer. He, I can't remember if he rose at 5 or 5.30 every morning. And he never, his entire life, he was consistent in always getting up 5, 5.30, I can't remember the time, and prayer. And people would always ask him, what's the secret to how you do it? He said, it starts the night before. Starts the night before. I've disciplined myself to know that I'll never be a man of prayer unless I'm a man that gets to bed at the time that gives me rest. Now, God will also take us through times where we get no rest, where the enemy will rob you of sleep. Don't feel, sometimes those are spiritual attacks, and you just have to ride those storms out. And then you get to be a night watchman in prayer. That's, that's something that happens too. Don't confuse the two. You control the things that God has given you accountability as a steward to control. That makes sense? And then you allow for the storms that God brings in. If there's times where there are things that in my life as a pastor that will rob me of sleep, but that's no excuse for the time where I robbed myself. See the difference? Your kid gets sick in the middle of the night, and it happens for four nights in a row, and everyone has the flu. That's life. But when they're not sick... And we rob ourselves of planned rest and planned time. We haven't been stewards of what the Lord's entrusted us with. And then number three, and it, of course this one um, can happen a couple of ways. Not, no renewing of the mind. The scriptures tell us that our minds have to be renewed. It's kind of like in, in renewing of the mind, it takes some time too. You, you ever done a home restoration or just, just changed out a room completely? You had to rip up the floors and all that stuff? It takes time, right? It's not a two-minute thing. It takes time to have our, our minds settled, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes hard work. 
And then here's the thing that really frustrates Christians. That's, that's why I put this one in the third in the list. You have to plan the time. You have to plan the rest. But in the renewing of the mind, if you have no renewing of the mind, even when you say, all right, the Lord has convinced me. I have now marked off the time. I've, plan- I've started to get the rest that I need. I'm going to have the prayer time and I need. And then you go into prayer time. You ever done this? And you start to pray, and here comes the grocery list. You say, all right, I'm going to get past that, move that out of my mind. Oh, yeah, I need to do this this weekend. You start to pray some more, and you start to fall asleep. And you thought you were rested. You wake up, you start to pray some more, and the grocery list is back. You wake up, and the Christmas list comes into your mind. Oh, I forgot we didn't get a gift for so-and-so. You've yet to, you feel like you and the Lord are having no conversation, but you're having a conversation with you and a task list. Takes time to get past that. Let me read something from, I read from Guy King's uh, book last week. This, uh, this one he uh, calls the wandering thought. He says, next, we would consider the wandering thought. This is where many would-be intercessors fail so unhappily. How many have spoken with distress and even with shame of their defeat in this way? We must try to say something about this very common and distressing phenomenon. I really think there is no need to discuss here either the nature or the source of these thoughts. It will be more profitable if we devote our small space to the secret of deliverance from their bondage. Let me venture to say that I do not believe there is any easy way to victory. You're looking for the magic bullet? There's not. These unruly thoughts must be brought under Christ's sway after the manner of 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. As each rebel thought, you've got to love the old English speaking here, as each rebel thought Uh, or the imagination appears, you must instantly arrest it in the name of the king. The more this is practiced, the more quickly and the more completely you will have control over the situation. Perseverance and patience will bring their own reward. Those who have matured over time have seen this take place. The grocery list doesn't come as often, doesn't stay as long, because you arrest it in the name of the Lord. Lord, help me get this out and keep moving forward in prayer. Just stay there. Just stay there. Get past it. You know, those guys that uh, practice you know, martial arts, um, before they get their hand really cut, they have to hit a hard surface again and again and again and again until the callus builds up and it doesn't bother them at all. And you have to have the same, Jesus is saying, that's why he's saying, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. You have to keep taking these thoughts into captivity. People give up way too soon. How long did you try? And Well, I, ju- I adjusted my time. I adjusted my sleep and, and getting better rest. Well, how long did you dedicate to prayer? Four days. And I couldn't stop thinking about everything on planet Earth. I thought about things I hadn't thought about since I was two. So I gave up. And that's, by the way, when you go to pray, the enemy will let you think of things you hadn't thought about. Pastor Chuck said he used to take a pen and just write those things down, and they would be out of his mind, write them down and go right back into prayer. Just write them on a little piece of paper. You'll often hear it takes 21 days for something to become a habit. Some studies actually show it takes two full months, more like 60, 60 to 66 days. So it's not a guarantee that 21. Uh, I would venture to say we should always look at the longer case scenario. It's going to take some time to develop this habit. But that's why it takes commitment. My lifers, I know whom I believe in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've what? Committed. If we commit it, if you say, Lord, I'm going to commit to becoming a person of prayer. I need your help. You think the Lord's going to say, that's not something I'm going to help you with. No, because he cares about you becoming a person of prayer more than we care about becoming a person of prayer. 
four areas of asking I want you to keep in mind. Again, in context of what Jesus always already shared in the model prayer, model prayer. Four, four aspects of what we pray for in this asking. This is kind of like our daily prayer life, if you will. Our daily prayer life. Things will come that there'll be seasons of things to pray for that may, may, aren't necessarily our daily prayer life. But we have a daily prayer life. That's what Jesus started with. The daily prayer life, that there's things we pray for day after day after day after day. Just like you brush your teeth day after day after day. It's, it's a normal course of your life, or it should be. I hope that it is. Number one is spiritual food. Going back to what he said in the model prayer, you know, when we're asking, Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given. When we're asking, we're asking for, we're asking for spiritual food first. Our daily bread. Again, in your devotional life, which is different than necessarily your study life, although they can be one and the same. In devotional life, you need to read some of the Word to have it go in, provide nutrition spiritually. And that the Word, reading the Word, even if it's just a few verses of chapter or whatever it is in the morning to, to, as part of your prayer life, that cleanses. And we have that Word and we have prayer. And prayer and the Word always go together. A person that says, I have a prayer life, but I don't have a Word life, it's impossible. The two go hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. The more you get in the Word, and the Word will activate the thing. It'll actually channel your prayer life. You'll start to think like the Lord and pray like the Lord because you're reading His Word. You read other things, you think about those things. You read the Word, you think about the things that the Lord thinks, and those channel our spiritual nutrition or our spiritual connection to God, and we need to ask Him those. Say, Lord, we need to be fed spiritually. When you eat healthy, you more that you eat healthy, the more you want to eat healthy. And same is, the more we're in the Word, the more we'll want to pray. So I have to have a devotional life. Even we every day say, Lord, I want to have some time where I read your word. And we ask him, take what I just read. This is the good way to understand. Take what I just read and magnify it in my life. Help me to understand it. Help me to digest it. Help me to meditate on it. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. If we simply read it and don't ask God to have it, work in our lives, we're not doing what he's asked us to do. He's told us to ask. Why would he have us reading it? Because he's God. He is teaching us that we have, he wants the heart there. He wants the heart's desire to truly want his will. That's what it comes down to. Number two is physical food. We, We actually still need real food, don't we? We have real physical needs. Jesus knows you need Gas in the car, heat in the house, clothing, shelter, these things. Now, he doesn't want us to be over-focused on those things, but we have real physical needs. One thing I've learned in, in the Christian life is that when our physical wants are really based on genuine need and they're not self-serving, God will meet them. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. I share, I share with a couple of guys. When I got out of college, I had done everything wrong that you could do. Changed my major like six times. Took government grants and spent them on partying. We were like $80,000 in debt. Really. I totaled it all up. And, and, and credit cards, upside down car loans, all those things. And the Lord, because of those things, when I got saved, I said, Lord, I need to make enough to flip that whole thing and pay it all off. God fast-tracked me, and in about five years, everything was paid off. And now, one day, he told me to leave the business world and be a full-time pastor. But the physical needs God does care about, and he will, if they're not self-serving, every physical need that you and I have should be that we would be that much more useful for the Lord. 
If you say, I want great health so I can be on the front of Muscle and Flex magazine. That's not a godly pursuit. If you say, I want great health so I can serve more people and go out and work for hours tirelessly, like a guy like D.L. Moody did, people were amazed at his energy where he could work like 18 hours straight, nonstop serving people, or a guy like John Wesley who could circuit ride and teach like four or five, six, seven times a day. God says, all right, that, that kind of strength I'll give to a Samson if he's delivering people. But I will not give it because you want to be on the front of Sports Illustrated. See, that's self-worship. If James talks about praying amiss, so you can spend it on your pleasure, say, Lord, I want a big house so everyone can be impressed with what I have. God might say, I won't give it to you, but Satan might. Right? Satan might give it to you, because he definitely wants you that. But what if you said, Lord, we want a little bigger place so we can host Bible studies and fellowship. And see, these are the things that when we pray, these kind of physical needs actually have a spiritual backdrop. The Lord cares about the physical needs. Number three, spiritual growth. So spiritual food, physical needs, spiritual growth. These are things that we ask for regularly because we, we regularly have physical needs, we always have spiritual needs, and we want to have spiritual growth on a continuing basis. Unlike our bodies which kind of go like this. You're born, get stronger, 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 peak, like that. Spiritually, you actually get to continue on the track like this. Isn't that great? Spiritually is the only way this works. Physically, you're riding high until all of a sudden the clock starts ticking and you have a regression of abilities. Can you climb the ladder? Because I can't. You know, whatever. <laughs> Remember when you were fearless. But spiritually, you can keep going like this. But remember what Jesus said. Spiritual growth is also connected to some other thing. Again, if there's unforgiveness towards somebody, you still can't grow. D.L. Moody said, I firmly believe that a great many prayers are not answered because we are not willing to forgive someone. So you can pray hours and go nowhere if there's unforgiveness to somebody. So spiritual growth, we need to pray, Lord, help me to grow, but we also need to know that there's no hindrances, as we've talked about in some other ways, no hindrances, as Jesus mentions, that we have to forgive those who have forgiven uh, or, or who, have, who have wronged us, just as we're asking God to forgive us. Go back to the model prayer. We have to have no unconfessed sin in our life. Not just unforgiveness, but you know, if there's something we are doing or have done that's in rebellion to the Word of God, say, Lord, please forgive me. That's important in our daily life. But some might say, well, isn't spiritual growth the same as spiritual food? Like, isn't spiritual growth the exact same? No. No, no. Reading the Word of God is the spiritual food but then it has to take root and grow. Your child might be getting healthy food, water, nutrients, might be getting all the healthy food, but what if the doctor says, you know, your child's perfectly healthy, they're just not growing? Is that a problem to anyone? Oh, I don't care if they're healthy. I don't care if they ever grow. No, we, we had friends, we were living in South Florida, that uh, their son was in completely healthy and, and at the age of four just kind of stopped growing. The doctors had to take other actions to actually spur growth. These things happen. No one, even if you were healthy, Christian speaking, spiritually speaking, can stop growing. We must continue to grow. We move forward in faith. Yes, we must receive spiritual food, but it has to turn into spiritual growth. It's funny about parents, though. Uh, none of us would, would, would be happy if all of a sudden our otherwise healthy child just stopped growing. Later, when, uh, when they're older, we're like, I wish you had never grown up. You know, you say that kind of thing later, like, you were so cute back then. We were looking at pictures the other night. Um, but spiritually, we have to continue to grow. God's placed it in mankind. It's, it's placed in our DNA to want to grow. You ever notice this? It's placed in our DNA to grow. People try and make everything grow. 
Have you ever noticed that? People try and make everything grow. People try and grow their families. They try and grow their careers. They try and grow their bank accounts. They try and grow their degrees and educational credentials. They try and grow the number of people on their social network. They try and grow their bodies through working out. At least when they're young, they try that. They later figure that doesn't work for so long. They try and grow plants. They try and grow, grow flowers, trees, forests, businesses, companies, revenues, memberships, alumni, financial donors, and the list goes on. People try and grow everything except for their spiritual life. Isn't it interesting? See, God's put it in the heart of man to want to make everything fruitful and multiply. But what he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply was a spiritual connection with the Father that grew. And yet, all through history, man's trying to grow everything but his relationship with the Lord. You and I can't be deceived by that. We cannot be deceived by the enemy saying, just focus on growing these other things. The Lord says, no, no, let the word of God take root. Let your prayer life flourish. Make the time for your body. Make the time for time. Make the time to renew your mind and let those things grow. And then lastly, other than spiritual growth, oh, one other thing I want to mention this. Um, this is very important. You can't simply work at growing in the Lord. Let me make sure that... Have you ever seen a plant just straining to grow? No. The roots just slowly continue to go down. No plant says, I'm going to grow a pineapple. No matter what. You don't strain to grow. You ask God for growth. This is what he said. Jesus is saying, here's the key. Asking, seeking, knocking. Now, plants don't actually ask the sun to come in. They don't ask the dirt to do what it does. They don't ask the water. God's just preordained that it actually works like that. But we're called, and throughout the scriptures, we're, we're, we're analogous to living plants. We're like a tree in Psalm 1, planted by what? The rivers of water. And so we, because we're planted there, Jesus said, I've already done all the planting. I've put you in the ground. I've put fertilizer around it. I gave you the word of God. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you all that you need to grow. Here's all I want you to do. Ask for it on a regular basis. You have not because you have. So we have to ask for growth. I hear people say, well, the way God made me, I'm not given to hospitality. Who says you're not given to hospitality? You're not in your flesh. Why don't you ask to become more hospitable? Well, I'm not really good at sharing the gospel and evangelism. No one's good at it. Naturally, ask to become God. Make me more like you, the way you would strike up conversation with the woman at the well, the way you would handle a situation like Nicodemus, the way you would do. I, I'm not good at almost anything naturally. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So you ask the Lord, say, Lord, make me effective in this. Help me to be effective. That's all it comes down to. Jesus is not looking for those that are masters. He actually looks for those that have a humble heart, know they don't have the ability, and says, but I'll give it to you. There's many things that don't, they're not natural spiritual gifts. You can pray for all the spiritual gifts. You're not limited. You can pray for them all. And God wants you to ask for them, not work for them. You see the difference? He's not asking you to run 8 million. He's saying just ask for them. He'll give you the desires of, their heart, of our heart if they're matching his. Important in spiritual growth. Number four is serving others. Serving others. Remember Jesus said in the model prayer, our Father. We serve others through prayer by doing what? Praying for them. Praying for them interceding for their needs. See, it's not, in my daily prayer life, I'm always praying for other people, and I hope you are too. It's not just about me. I have my needs, and if, if, if I want to be helpful, I need to be able to go and do things on their behalf. But even if I was bedridden, I could still pray for their needs. Amen? We've got people that are home sick with the flu today. We've got some texts this morning, some families that are sick. They cannot be here. They can be praying for us, and they're with us in spirit. The scripture tells us. Interceding for the needs of others. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses one to another. 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We pray for one another. We even say, hey, I've, had, I've seen people that, man, I'm really struggling. Say, can we pray right now? And God will deliver many times. Pastor Chuck says this in his book, Effective Prayer Life. He would, he would have people come up and say, man, I've got this problem, I've got this problem, this problem. And he says, have you prayed about it? Well, no. Well, let's stop and pray right there. Now, Chuck would then pray with them, and he's helping them enter into an intercessory prayer life as he prays over their need. But you and I, we want to have in our daily prayer life lifting other people up, praying for other situations, other marriages, other believers around the world. And it's not always the same thing every day. God might lay one family or person or situation in your heart, different days, but it should be part of our daily prayer life that we're interceding for others. And again, if our sins are confessed, if we're not holding anything against anyone, then we actually truly will see our prayer life impact positively the lives of other people. Let's look at the next point. Jesus says not just to ask, but he says to seek. Seek and you will find. Seeking and believing. Those that are mature in prayer continually seek a deeper walk with Christ. Again, I'll say that again. Those that are mature in prayer continually seek a deeper walk walk with Christ. And because they're mature in prayer, they have more of a desire to seek a deeper walk with Christ. And they also seek to understand, this is something I've seen with godly saints. If you read biographies of godly saints and you meet people that are really mature in the faith and they've gone on to conquer big giants, lions, bears, things like that, spiritually speaking, you meet people that because their prayer life has grown deeper, the roots have gone deeper and deeper and deeper. They not only have a deeper walk with Christ and desire a deeper walk with Christ, but they also seek to understand things that many other people aren't even thinking about. They seek to see deliverances of things that other people don't even see as problems. Why? Because people are so focused on themselves, so horizontally focused, so worldly plane focused, they don't see the things that Jesus would see. Jesus would see that the white fields are white into harvest. The disciples couldn't see that. Like, no, they're not. Jesus said, yes, they are. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Who was right? Jesus, of course. <laughs> Because he was speaking, spiritually speaking. The, heart, the fields weren't ready, but he was saying the hearts are ready. And the more mature someone is, the more they seek to understand the things that God is kind of pulling back the curtains on. The hidden realm of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And those who fear him are those that are in prayer. See, they see things others can't see. Because the Spirit is giving them spiritual eyesight to delve deeper into the battle that is really all around us. It's taking place in the heavenlies. Look at, real quick, uh, we don't have much time, but go left to, to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Give you an example of this. Daniel was a man. I don't know how much you know about Daniel, but he was a man of great prayer. The reason why Daniel was given the interpretation of dreams and visions is because he had practiced a prayer life clearly most of his life. He was even thrown a lion's den for doing what? Praying. You could, you could tell Daniel he could do anything, and he'd be okay with it, but if you told him he couldn't pray... That's where the buck stopped. He was a man of prayer. And because of that, he became a man of revelation. He had revelation that other men didn't receive. I believe Joseph probably became a great man of prayer while in the prisons there in the dungeons before he became the second there in Egypt. Men that became men of prayer. But look at um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. This is Daniel speaking. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. See, Daniel came to know that God reveals the deep and hidden things. That even in the darkest of places, God can shine a light of wisdom. It wasn't just Daniel. I won't make you turn there because it'll take a time. But Nehemiah was the same way. Nehemiah, he, he hears of Jerusalem in ruins. But what he sees is a city that can actually be rebuilt. What other people would see is a city in ruins. That's not what, Daniel, that's not what Nehemiah saw. Nehemiah saw it can be rebuilt. The hidden things. 
and he would intercede and believe that those things could happen. The Lord wants us to dig deeper. But it, but it starts with the, we have to have the, the consistent prayer life of asking daily before we get into seeking. You know, for several decades, there were predictions that the world's oil supply was going to completely dry up. There were some predictions that we wouldn't have oil by now. I don't know if you know this, but we actually have a massive surplus of oil worldwide. It's actually your gas tank prices have probably gone down. Have you noticed that? You're all like, yes, finally. I don't think it's going to get back to the days when I was a kid when it was like 50 cents a gallon or something like that. But there is an overflow right now uh, of oil. And, and, and like I said, and people thought that we were going to be out of oil by now, or many did, not Different studies said 2010, and some said 2050, and all these different things. And, uh, but as companies, what happened? See, companies are motivated by profits. It's a hard-driving thing. You and I aren't to be motivated by profits. We're to be motivated by the redemption and salvation we've been given. But because motivation is still, in some senses, motivation is motivation, companies are motivated by profits. They refuse to give up. They kept searching. They kept adjusting to different challenges, rock formations, how to get through them, and then amazing new technology have been discovered in our lifetime. Really, only in the last 10, 15 years, these things have come to fruition. Sources that have located never-before-found oil reserves deep, I mean deep, in the earth. For example, the, oil, the average oil well in Texas is 3,500 feet deep in Texas. And a lot of those were built, you know, not, you know, those were 40s, 50s, uh, oil wells at 3,500 feet. You know, the, you know the ones that they're digging today? Some of them are between 30,000 and 40,000 feet deep. That's Everest turned upside down plus six, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 feet additional. I don't even know how they do it. But they've kept seeking, you know, hydraulic fracturing, which is taking place at about 15 to 20, anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 feet in depth. That technology is new. They're continuing to seek, continuing to search, and there's, there really is gold in them hills, if you will. Black gold, the show back in the, you know, years ago. As we mature in prayer, though, God will take us deeper to where we don't think there's reservoirs and he knows there are. He'd say, we don't, there can't be anything deeper than what I've experienced. God's like, are you kidding? You're at 3,500 feet. I'm going to take you to 35,000 feet deep. See, that's where men like Daniel went. The rest of, there was, you can be saved and you can live forever um, at zero feet. I just live at sea level. God says, but the deep secret things, the power thing, the things that bring you the riches of God, I'll go deeper. Romans eleven thirty three. Paul writes, oh, the depth, listen to the word, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. Paul says that God's depth is far beyond 35,000 feet. It never ends. So the longer we grow in prayer, the more depth, the more understanding, the more we don't mess it up because of us, because we now are seeing things through his eyes. The more we say, wow, that is what you wanted me to know. That is what's hindering. Uh, there might be things, Japan, 1% of the continent, 1% of the country, I should say, 1% of Japan is is born again believer. Do you know God knows the exact key what will bring the other 99% eyes open? Some men will pray and find it. Others won't care. Right? Someone will be a Hudson Taylor in Japan. Someone will be. And it'll be a person that prayed like Hudson Taylor did to unlock the keys. See, Daniel wept in prayer. Nehemiah wept in prayer because it's not easy. It comes through travail. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend that kind of time. It took billions of dollars for these technologies to be created. But it takes lots of minutes of saying, Lord, take me deeper. Take me deeper. The mature, they seek and they want a closer presence of Christ. 
They want more of Jesus. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted, there it again, rooted, grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul knew the depth of Christ more than many of the men that were his peer group. Would you agree? He wasn't more special. He was more surrendered. He wasn't more special. He was more surrendered. Moses was called the most humble man on the face of earth. Why did Moses see things that very few people would ever see? He was more surrendered. He was okay with just being a shepherd talking with God. He could have been a wealthy big shot in Egypt. Hebrews says he esteemed the riches of God greater than the riches of Egypt. See, a lot of people, they esteem the riches of what they have already doing more than the riches of what God says, I will give you jewels that far outweigh, but you won't believe it because you can't see it because it's 35,000 feet beneath the earth. But he wants to take us there. And lastly, in closing, it's very connected. All these are very connected. You could make the case of Asking, seeking, and knocking being one cohesive thing, or you can make the case of breaking them out. Uh, There's biblical guidance on both, if you will. But the last coming to a close, knocking and believing. I look at knocking in this way. It's the Spirit's power. Jesus says at the end here, if you then being evil know how to give good, how much more your Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now we know that Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that the Holy Spirit will be given for power. That Why? Jesus said power to be my witnesses in this world. You cannot be, I cannot be, a faithful, persevering, battling soldier of Christ's witness without the power of God. Because A, we're weak physically, we're weak mentally, and we tend to give up, and we tend to stop knocking. And so all the other things contribute, the daily asking, the deeper seeking. But then he says, I want you to not, I don't want you just to be, end up in the prayer closet. Daniel would come out of the prayer closet and say, thus saith the Lord. Here's how it's going to happen. Isn't that great? It, It doesn't end. Nehemiah didn't just stay in the prayer closet and see Jerusalem rebuilt. He actually went there and had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. See, he comes out of the closet and he's ready for battle. He, you have to get out of the bed, out of the house, and go knock on the neighbor's door. Right? He, Jesus used very literal terms here. You're going to have to go and physically knock on the door. You're going to have to now take what I give you and go and exercise it. I've given you the will to do it. I've given you the wisdom to do it. Now you'll have to go and do it. The mature in prayer, they will see doors open. They'll see doors open. They'll see obstacles overcome. They'll see power in their life. The mature in prayer will see these things come to pass. Romans 15, 13, one of my favorite verses. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Who doesn't want joy? Peace. I did a whole message on this, if you may remember, way back in January. That you may abound in hope, here it is, by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not empowering you, your joy, your hope, And even your faith will diminish rather quickly. That's why I'm so thankful God has given us the Holy Spirit. Now, he he said this before the Holy Spirit had been given. We all have received the Holy Spirit. But I know God wants us to have an overflow or a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We would have the kind of power that the apostles came to see. You ever knock on a door when you know for certain someone's home and at first they don't answer? You know they're home. You're confident that they're just not avoiding you or ignoring you, right? We've done this when we've gone door to door where I actually saw someone walk through the house. I knock, I'm like, come on, I just saw someone walk through. I know, I know someone's here, right? 
Now, there's also the situations, this happens at my own house, where like I've gone for a walk and I left the keys and shut the door. And I know my girls are upstairs, my girls are home, but if they have headsets on and I'm knocking on the front door, it's as if no one's home. And so I'm knocking, I know they're on the second floor, and I'm going to have to knock louder, and, and then that doorbell is going to get worn out until <laughs> I get someone's attention. It's a persistence. They might not hear you the first time, but you keep knocking, and the, those that are mature will actually see obstacles moved. They'll see doors open. They'll pray through when they'll pray with the power because they've gone to the deep places with God. They've done the daily maintaining relationship and fellowship with God. Now, not all knocking. I want to close with something that's a little bit of a twist or a softer. Not all knocking requires that you knock louder, wait longer, and just keep pounding on the door. What do I mean by that? Think of all the doors you've knocked on in your entire lifetime. I mean, not metaphorically, I mean literally. All the doors you've knocked on in your lifetime. From the time you were selling Christmas bulbs for the, for the elementary school, which I got hit up this year for that kind of stuff. This year it was cookies. One time I had to sell tulips. The bulbs. You ever know, have, have done that? I'm like, what? Who came up with this? As a kid, I thought, what a boring... No one will want this. Nobody will want tulip bulbs. I sold like 100 or something. I don't know. But anyway, think about all the doors you've ever knocked on in your entire life. Most times, you, people expect it, were expecting you, which is a good thing. Most times, the doors you knock, people were generally expecting you. You were, you were invited over. Hey, we're coming over to visit. And it wasn't a shock. And when you knock... Most times, you were greeted like a friend at the beginning of the parable. People open the door, hey, welcome. Most times, you're greeted warmly welcome. This time of the season where some of you will go to Christmas parties and fellowship, you knock on the door or ring the doorbell, people are expecting you. Most of the times in my life, I look back, most of my knocks were expected. Now, some weren't, but most were. And when we are mature in the Lord, we really expect Jesus to answer the door, don't we? And we expect to be warmly welcomed. And we expect the things that we're praying for. We're praying for Pastor Say to be delivered. I believe, and it goes back to believing, I believe he will someday be set free. I don't know how much I believe it percentage-wise. It's on a sliding scale. Some days I'm like 50%, some days I'm like 1%. But I haven't been at 0% yet. And you have to keep praying and believing and say, I know Jesus is behind the door, and I know he has the power over every single thing, and I know he gives me the Holy Spirit, and it becomes natural to keep knocking and believing. And I can say a short prayer driving down the highway, and I still know it's just as much Jesus hearing an open door and welcoming that prayer as if I'm on my knees for a longer period of time. And I want to close by a quote, which is so uh, telling of what happens to the person who matures in their prayer life. It's E.M. Bounds says this. He says, our short prayers are effective, efficient, because long ones have receded them. Our short prayers are effective and efficient because long ones have preceded them. You don't always have time to stop and pray for long periods of time. But when prayer becomes part of our overall life, we can knock at three in the morning, like this parable, and get results right then and there. Amen? And Jesus is saying, you, wanted, you asked how to pray, that's how to pray. Isn't that great? Jesus says, you wanted to know, that's how you do it. Now we have the whole counsel of God. We don't only have just his teaching there. We have all the epistles and all the Old Testament. We can look at the whole counsel of God and get the full picture. And it's my prayer that last week and this week, that the Lord, as you look towards 2015, that you really say, you know, i I'm not big on New Year's resolutions that I fail at, but I'm really going to start to make the time for prayer, make the time to get rest, and really battle through in the renewal of my mind and watch me grow deeper and see doors open. If, when this church grows in power, we're going to see tons of people get saved. When this church grows in the saturation of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see lives transformed. We're not even ready for it now because we don't have enough people that would be there to disciple all the 
you know, fragments coming into the baskets. But we'll get there, and I believe prayer is what the Lord is emphasizing as we come to the end of this year. I said, I would have done in our Christmas message today. Jesus said, no, you're not. You're doing part two of the prayer. Because that is where the power is. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, that you not only sent your son to die, but Lord, he modeled for us prayer. Lord, we know that we see our Savior praying our Father on a regular basis. And Jesus, we just ask that you'd forgive us for being negligent in prayer, for giving up too soon, for perhaps not starting. And Lord, we want to grow in asking and seeking and knocking and Lord, in all of it, believing. We want, Lord, the Holy Spirit to come upon us with power. We, Lord, we want to, don't want to be hindered by our own self-interest, asking amiss, or hindered, Lord, by even unforgiveness towards someone. Lord, all these things, I pray that my brothers and sisters would lay at the foot of the cross. And that you would make this church into a collection of families and individuals, Lord, that are committed to prayer. And that we would change Chesterfield County, Virginia, and this nation, Lord, as we know that only a handful of believers meeting in an upper room to pray shook the world for Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand?